Uh, the Lord's dealt with my heart tonight very specifically to answer a question. And we're going to use God's Word, a biblical perspective, a Christ-centered attitude and approach to the world in which we are living. I want you to pay attention to the amount of time that you are allowing yourself to consume the news from the world. I want you to be very careful in what you consider a trusted source, especially when looking at something on Facebook or on a website. Anybody can post anything online anytime. God's Word is very clear that Christians are to be a very specific people, that we're not to live with our heads in the sand, that we are to be aware of the time in which we are living. But at the end of the day, if you are continuously feeding yourself from the news of the cosmos, the news of the far country, if that is all you consume, and you will become a very sad, depressed, anxious, worrisome child of God, who the devil will then have in a position to be weakened and to not be who God wants you to be in these last days. Obviously, we need to know what's happening in our world. You need to know the news sources that you are ingesting are trustworthy. That the reporters who are writing what they are writing are writing it without animus or um, without any sort of agenda. It's tough to find these days. There's always two sides to every story. And somewhere right in the middle usually is where the truth lies. We live in a different world. Can you imagine if World War II would have happened with the internet capability that we have today? I believe we'd still be fighting that war. We're in a time of great animosity, anger, vitriol, hatred. We live in an uncompassionate world. It's full of sin and grief and despair. But thank God, you and I, the children of God, we live above all of that strife. We don't live above it in pride. We don't live above it as if it doesn't affect us or that we don't pay attention to it. You need to know what your children are facing at school. You need to know what the elected officials that you elected are doing and how they're spending money and what they're saying. All those things are important. Do not think that what I'm saying is that we simply disassociate ourselves from reality or that we disassociate ourselves from the information of what's going on in the world. But God's Word has for us tonight a very clear path to answer a question that is being asked all over the world tonight. And that question is, is this the end of peace? Is what we are beholding right now happening in our world, 
Is this the end of peace? I heard someone on DWTV, which is an English-speaking German news outlet, talking about the war in Ukraine with Russia, talking about the potential escalation bringing NATO in under an Article 5 event where NATO would have to respond and that uh, essentially you would be in World War III. And the question was asked to a retired German general who spoke very good English. And this general was asked by the commentator, General, is this the end of peace? Is this it? Is this the end of peace on earth? So I ask tonight as we explore God's Word, is this what we are beholding, the end of peace? Heavenly Father, for a few minutes we draw our attention to Your Word. God, we ask You to fortify us, to strengthen us, and to give us exactly what we need as Your people tonight from Your Word. God, I pray that as we observe our world through the lens of a Christian, that God, our focus would be in the right places, that our minds would think upon the things we are to think upon, God, that our hearts would be moved with compassion to anyone who suffers, to anyone who's in pain, to anyone who is without shelter and food. God, I pray that your people tonight would be able to answer in their own hearts this question of peace. That, Father, we would see you for who you are and for what you are. God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and that, Father, the word would be clear that the Holy Spirit of God would encourage the saints. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen and amen. We've talked a lot about the war in Ukraine and what it means. Let's come back home. Let's talk about your gas prices that you're paying at the pump. You say, Pastor, why would you even mention something so trivial behind a sacred desk? Because the fact is, gas prices affect you. Gas prices affect me. Gas prices affect the workings of ministry and churches. This is a regional church. Some in our congregation, as prices go up in gas, their frequency of being on this campus goes down. They have to go to once a week being here. Their personal budget does not allow them to just go and come as many times as they please. For those of us who are able to go and come as many times as we please, we better come with thankful hearts that we're able to be here, that we're able to afford the gas to be here. But gas is expensive, and it's going to get more expensive. Food cost is through the roof. Availability of certain food products. Things are changing in your country. The price of ground beef at one local retailer this week doubled in one 24-hour period because of a supply and demand issue, because of gas and other things. That hits close to home for anyone who lives in reality. Even the rich, even those who live in billion-dollar existence, they notice that their accounts for trade and commerce, their international trading accounts, their uh, American trading accounts. They see a large deficit this past week. Those of you that have your retirement 
Those of you that are blessed and able to uh, invest in the stock market, you saw this week a great dip. And if you're like me, Friday was not pretty when the bell closed. Our world is changing right before our very eyes. And you say, well, pastor, things have been deteriorating since 2000 and whatever, 19 whatever. What we are watching happening in 2022 is a fast progression towards an ultimate change, a final change. What you're, happen, what you're seeing happen is the deterioration of what is known as the American dream. And so as God's people, as the children of God, we see the war in Ukraine and what it could mean for all of us. We see gas prices. We see food costs, what it does to your personal budgets, futures, retirements, the economy, the possible devaluation of the dollar, inflation at uh, an incredibly high place. The question is, is this the end of peace as we have known it, not only in the United States, but as we have known it in the world. Yes, there has always been pockets of war and pockets of famine. And always there have been places of contention and infighting and civil war and problems and issues. But what we're watching on our television and our phones and our iPads, what we are watching, what we are beholding is the greatest change in geopolitical standings since World War II. What we're watching happening is greater in implication than what happened in the war in Vietnam. What we're watching happen has greater implications than even the Korean War. We're talking about the deterioration of Europe. You're talking about millions of people. You're talking about 2022 and there are scenes coming out of Kiev and Kharkiv and Lviv that look just like 1941. And we told ourselves we would never do it again, yet we are doing it again. So is this the end of peace? Is this the end of hope? Is there any excitement anymore when we look at the red, white, and blue? Are all these things changing to a place to where we are to say that peace is no more? It is safe to say, I believe in all, with all of my heart. And let me preface this with this statement. I am a pastor. I am not a geopolitical expert. Political science is a hobby. I do not have a doctorate in geopolitical issues and foreign studies. I was blessed to live outside of the United States for over 12 years. I have a perspective that God has given me through ministry and seeing other cultures and other people. But let me tell you this. If God's people do not take with them in their walk of faith that the outside the walls experience may become different. If you don't prepare as an American Christian for what could be our existence, you may find yourself in a most difficult place living in a reality that no longer exists. What my children are, who are to come may face may be something you would never think possible in the United States of America. 
Could it be that my children will pay $15 a gallon for gas? Or could it be that my children will live in a world where we're so infatuated by being morally correct and having a moral win that it'll be illegal to burn gasoline in America? You say that's fanatical, it'll never happen. We are a breath away from those types of things happening. And so God's people are commanded by God's word to know the times in which we live and then to embrace the times in which we live as who we follow, as Christ would embrace them, as Christ would respond to them with a biblical worldview. We are Christians, believers, and we respond appropriately. You see, America has always been different. Our inception is found in rebellion and an unwillingness to bow to the king. Revolutionaries who wanted freedom, who wanted a place to come to be able to worship as they pleased without fear of government. That's who we are. That's what's in our tapestry And just remember this, when you look at the old red, white, and blue, you're looking at something that was paid for at a great price. But it was given by a greater God. To whom much is given, much is required. And to us, those of us who are blessed to be Christians in the United States, we have been given a lot The fact that when you fly, when you check into the Asheville airport and you fly internationally, that you hand over an American passport with blue and gold means that you won the proverbial lottery the moment you were born in this country. If you don't believe that, get on a plane and let me take you to a few different places and let you embrace that that is the truth, that God has been good to you to allow you to live in this country. You say, I live in a double-wide home. Wonderful. Praise God for the beautiful home that God has given you. You say, my home's only 1,400 square feet and only has two bathrooms. Praise the Lord for your 1,400 square feet, two bathrooms, electricity, and the warmth you experience in your home without interruption. God has been good to the United States of America. God has blessed us abundantly above anything we could ever ask. And since the cross of Christ, no group of people has ever lived in such splendor and glory and comfort as the people who are sitting in blue chairs tonight. God has been good to this country. Christians in America do not yet know the taste of real persecution. But one day we could. So we embrace that the world is changing. We see that the world is different. We know that things that we used to hold near and dear, our freedoms and our liberties, we watch them uh, just disappear with one stroke of one man's pen on one street. And things change. And if your hope and your peace is tied to what is represented in the red, white, and blue, and the promise and the hope of happiness and prosperity directly tied to that flag, you are setting yourself up for failure. 
Is this the end of peace? May I ask this question? When was there any peace in the first place? As it pertains to this world. I submit to you that peace in this world, apart from the influence of Jesus Christ, has never existed in the first place. There is no peace on this earth apart from being born again, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Does it mean that we look at the red, white, and blue and we go, ah, whatever? No, we embrace it. We love it. We take care of it. We invest. And for the love of God, we vote for the lesser of two evils often. This is our home, and we have been blessed. America has always enjoyed being in a different place with different categories. I remember living in San Jose, Costa Rica as a teenager. I'd go to the gas station with my dad, and on the sign it wouldn't say per gallon. When you paid for gas there, you paid per liter. You paid for gas in liters. And back then, this is almost 15 years ago now. Can you believe it's almost been 15 years? We were paying $2.50 a liter. $2.50 a liter. 15 years ago, that's almost $5 a gallon. 15 years ago. Yet you could get on a plane... Fly two and a half, three hours, land at Charlotte Douglas International Airport, get off the plane, and pay a dollar nineteen a gallon in America. You could get on a flight in Key West, Florida, and in 15 minutes land 90 miles south in Havana. You could go to the south side of town and find there a pastor named Pastor Amita. Pastor Amitah was a faithful man, a pastor, a preacher, a lover of souls, a conveyor of the gospel. And he was also a double trained medical doctor. He was a pediatric specialist and he was an adult cardiologist. And he was a pastor. Trained for 16 years for both of his disciplines in Munich, Germany, paid for by the Cuban government. He came back to work at the communist-ran hospital where he in the morning would see pediatric patients and in the evening would see cardiac patients on the cardiac floor as a cardiologist. And his take-home check, just a 15-and-a-half-minute flight from Key West, Florida, for being a double-disciplined medical doctor was $16 a month. Pastor Amitah would hold four and five nights a week in his home services that would go three and four hours long. People hungry, people desperate for the word of God, the truth, the promise of heaven, the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ because the miserable existence that they lived in was not where their hope and peace was found. They were tortured. 
by being followed with secret police. Oftentimes the home would be rocked and stoned and egged. It never was easy being a Christian there. They'd go to the ration house to get their rice and their soap. Cuban Christians who belonged to Pastor Amitaz Church. And when they would get to the ration house, they would turn in their ration book to get their rice and their soap and what they needed to live for the month. And they would be denied access to the government supply because they belonged to Pastor Amitaz Church. Yet they would leave with a smile and confidence knowing that one day they would go to a place where there would never be a short supply from the Father's table. They live differently than we do. America, it's been a long time since we know what it is to stand in a bread line. It's been a long time since we have collectively been without jobs and without money. We have been blessed. Pastor Amitai would not only work as a cardiologist and a pediatric specialist and a pastor, but then after preaching into the wee hours of the morning, he would take people's shoes and he would resole them and clean them and fix them. He was a shoe cobbler to make ends meet for his family. I'm trying to say that we as Christians in America have lived differently than even brothers and sisters who live 90 miles south of Florida. Our world is changing. And my question in my heart is, is this where America is headed? Is this what America will become? Will we have to stand in ration lines? Will we have to know what civil war is again? Could it be that World War III is weeks away and our world will never be the same? I don't know. I don't have all of those answers. But I know this. I trust my God. My God is a capable God. My God is a most powerful God. And if it is His sovereign will for this country to walk through difficult days like it has not known in generations or ever before, He'll still be God tomorrow. The facts are this. Romans 8.22, turn there with me. Here's some simple facts that you must take into account as you look at this world with a biblical perspective. Romans 8.22, a very simple verse, but a very important verse. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Even the world, creation, earth groans and travails in pain. This is a dangerous place to live. A virus so small you can't see it with your eye has killed millions of people. It has infected millions of people. People are killed each year by tornado, earthquake, desolation and famine. This is a dangerous place to live. And at the core of earth 
with its rumblings and its groanings, even the earth screams out loud that there is no peace. Revelation 12, 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. When Satan, Lucifer, went against God and was expelled from heaven, where was he sent? He was sent here to this earth. We forget sometimes that Satan has on this earth a temporary control and power and dominion. Ephesians 2.2 Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Satan is... Cast to earth, expelled from heaven, his pride, the catalyst. One third of the angels with him, his demon, his horde. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13 gives us a perfect outline, a structure of the four levels of Satan's government. It's here, it works, it damns people to hell. It moves, it manipulates, it works against the church. That's why Jesus, when He spoke there in the north above Galilee, and He said, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against the church. He was stating something that we so desperately needed. And that was that we had a layer of protection assigned by the Son of God that we would not be overcome by the wicked evildoer that lives on this earth. This is the nature of our world. That's why it's vital that you understand that the people who are not of your faith, who do not yet know Christ for who He is and the beauty of the gospel, those people who are walking, as 2 Corinthians says, with blind minds are not your enemy. We are to look at them with pity. We are to look at them with sorrow. We are to look with them and have a burden for their soul because each and every one of them are going to spend eternity somewhere. But if Satan in his power and his control and his desire, it would be to blind more minds and send more people into hell for an eternity separated from God. That is his goal. That is his intention. Satan knows in the end he loses. His attempt to take as many with him is just part of his wickedness. Everything changes the moment that Adam and Eve break God's law. The Adamic nature that you and I are cursed with comes straight from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And since that day when man was given a perfect existence, a beautiful reality, the Garden of Plenty, the Garden of Pleasure, the Garden of Peace, we squandered it, we wasted it, and now we are living in this cursed existence because of the fallen nature of man. And even an infant child born into this world is born with that nature. Remember who it is humans are. Remember what it is this earth is. And then you will understand that in no way, shape, form, or fashion can this earth with the power and the control and the dominion of Satan here now. There is no peace 
outside of the person of Jesus Christ. You will not find peace within the confines of human ritual and ritualistic. You will never find peace inside human government. You will never find peace inside human manipulation. You will never find peace inside humanism. It does not exist. It's an oxymoron. We do not possess peace. We're not a peaceful people. We kill our brothers and our cousins and our sisters and we abort children and we kill for money. We're wicked. We're vile. That's what human beings are. There is no peace in humanity. You say, what a discouraging message. This is not what I needed. It's exactly what we need. To be reminded that you will not find your hope in the midterms. You will not find your peace and your comfort in the next great conservative voice. You will not find your peace, your comfort, and your sustainment in the hope of the Democratic Party coming back to a more centrist idealism and some conservative, middle ground, Joe Manchin-esque person taking the party back. Oh, there's all my peace and joy and hope. We've got hope for America now. No! What a trick, what a lie of the devil to rob you of the real peace that God gives. Our world is wicked. Republican is not the answer. Democrat is not the answer. Peace and no war is not the answer. War and no peace is not the answer. The answer is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only source of peace. You can't find it anywhere else. It's temporary. It's fixed. It's attached to strings that draw out all of eternity. It's a lie of the devil to find peace in this world. If you find peace in how much money you have in your bank account, you're missing the mark. If your peace is found in how your wife treats you and how she uh, uh, talks to you and how your relationship health is, if that is the absolute antithesis of your peace, you're setting yourself up for failure. You as Christians, I am preaching tonight to Christians, the saints of God. If you want to make it in this world, you will tie yourself to Jesus and hold on in the hurricane. Because he's the only hope we have. He is the only source of peace. The world is wicked. The world is cursed. And the people who inhabit the earth are born as natural enemies of God. That's just simply who we are. It's not a popular definition of humanism in 2022. You can rest assured. But it's who we are. Turn to 2 Timothy 1 through 10. This will be our final thought. 2 Timothy 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, 
my dearly beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. What a friend. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the pudding on of my hands. For God, little Timothy, hath not given us the spirit of fear, little Timothy, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began." but is now made manifest in the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immorality to light through the gospel. What an opening statement. Number one, God gives peace. If you want peace in this life and in this world, living in the ebb and the flow of the madness, you must find your peace in the person of Jesus. God gives real peace. Let me say it again for those in the very back. God gives real peace. God gives peace. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that will sustain you and bring you all the way home. It's not a peace that will ever run out or fail you. It's a real peace. It's a tangible peace. And it's a peace that will allow you to lay your head on the pillow tonight with the world going mad and say, I have peace. I may not have money. I may not have food. I may not have clothing. And I may pay $15.99 for a gallon of gas. But I have peace because I have Jesus. People that do not have Jesus cannot have peace. And if you want peace, you must have Jesus. And if you do not have Jesus, you will never know what it is to have real peace. This word that he uses in the Greek, the spirit of fear, that phrase, it's strong. It means more than just a spirit of fear. It also can mean timidity or to be a coward, to be shameful in fear caused by weak Selfish character. It's strong words Paul's using here from prison. God's not given us a spirit of cowardness. God has not given us a spirit of shame 
God has not given us a spirit of timidness. We're not timid with the truth. We're not timid with the gospel. We're bold with the gospel. We're bold with the truth because we believe that it is the only hope. God's given us more than peace. He's given us peace that's backed with the confidence of who God is. You see, your peace isn't tied to who you are or what your capability is. If your peace is found in the person you're looking at in the mirror, if you're looking at your children and you're thinking, how in the world am I going to sustain a home that's peaceful? You won't do it. If you want a home that has peace, then get God's word and prayer in your home as quickly as possible. Pretend that your house is on fire and that this is the water hose that will save your family. You want real peace. I'm not talking about Facebook peace. What garbage. I'm not talking about Instagram story peace. What a fake. I'm talking about peace to look at devils and demons in the face and grin because you know who your Savior is. Peace that comes with confidence. Peace that comes with authority. Peace that can only come from God's Word. Quit coming to this church office and saying, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong with my family. I know what's wrong with your family. There's no peace in the home. Because there's no God's Word in your home. When was the last time mommy and daddy prayed out loud for each other in front of Junior and Sally? And we wonder why there's no peace in the home. Men, for the love of God and for the fact that it's here, not that it's coming, be the men of your home and pray with your family. Pray! Be the men of your home with authority, with a spine. God has not called us to be cowards, but to look at the darkness coming with confidence and authority and say, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is enough, and He will bring peace to your home. Authority from God's Word. Confidence in who he is. It's our only hope. Quit searching in other places and run to the only truth that remaineth. It's his word. And cling to it as if you're on the Titanic and this is the last lifeboat available. God will give you peace. No matter what comes in this world. You say, I've been to the funeral home and my heart is broken. You'll find peace in Jesus. My children are in the world. They don't listen to me anymore. Their only hope is Jesus. I don't feel the presence and the power of God like I used to. I can't sing like I used to. I can't raise a hand like I used to. I don't know what it is to shed a tear anymore. Keep going to that rock and asking God and He will do it. By faith, 
God will go before you. He will equip you. And God has not brought Trinity Baptist Church through these many years of torment and toil and strife and pain and sacrifice to bring us to this point and drop us off a cliff. He's brought us this far so that that precious baby in your arms has hope. And it's found in Jesus. And if you want peace, Nathan, you'll look to the person of Jesus. God brings peace. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. God has given believers the spiritual resources they need. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and then it lists the four dominions of Satan's government. If you keep reading, God will equip you with exactly what you need. The power of God, the touch of God. Divine power that's effective against the enemy. We do not sound the alarm because of gas prices and the devaluation of the dollar. We sound the alarm tonight because men's souls will spend an eternity somewhere. And if you want the power and if you want the authority to share the good news of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, God will have to open your mouth and give you the confidence to do it. But only He can do that. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And this is a love that not only is centered on pleasing God, loving God, but loving others. Don't pick on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Embrace them for who they are, with all their imperfections just like the ones you have. And embrace them, love them, care for them, put them ahead of yourself as Christ would. Put their welfare above your welfare. And then lastly in that verse he says a sound mind. This refers specifically to a mind that is disciplined. A mind that has its priorities in place. When you wake up in the morning, your first priority for your mind to latch to, for your mind to fix itself to, is not how am I going to do this today? How am I supposed to live in this world? I'm so anxious. I'm so depressed. I'm so worried. The mind that God gives us, it prioritizes who God is first. And we say, God, I don't know how this is going to work today. I don't know how this is going to happen today. But I trust who you are. And God, I trust what you are. And my mind, first thing in the morning, must find itself consuming the cool water from a deep well in God's word to get ahead of the enemy who has a plan to ruin my day. But if I want to play games and if I want to say, man, I can catch a verse here, catch a verse there throughout the day. If I don't in intention and in purpose get in God's word first thing, as soon as my eyes open, I need to find a verse. God, I need a verse today. Lord, I need a verse. God, sustain me through your word. If that's not where you are, then by lunchtime, your mind will be reprioritized to other things. 
A sound mind isn't just common sense. It's a mind that has priority. Prioritize your thoughts. A mind that's prioritized to think upon the things of God, that's prioritized to think on the goodness and the mercy of God, is a mind that will have a hard time thinking upon the evil wickedness of this world and feeding the lust of the flesh. Number one, God gives peace. Everybody say amen. 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 God gives peace. Secondly, God gave us a plan. God gave us a plan. We see all that's happening. War, rumors of wars, economy, food, gas, sadness, immorality, corruption, political strife. We see all of that. So what is our plan? I need more, Pastor, than I just need to read my Bible and pray. Well, here's some more. We won't take the time to read all of these verses, but here's what we can find. You can find it for yourself in the ministry of Timothy. God gave you and me thousands of years later a perfect plan, a perfect roadmap in the ministry of Timothy and in the way that the Apostle Paul especially communicated with Timothy and how his ministry was carried out. There's a roadmap for you and me to live in strife and in darkness and in wicked days and still be successful for the cause of Christ. Timothy had to do a few things. Timothy had to share in suffering. And the reason was because such sharing allowed an opportunity for others to be saved. We must share the gospel even in the midst of suffering. Just because it's hard outside, just because it's difficult in our day, does not mean that we can stop sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, Brother Allen. Timothy had to do something most difficult. He had to continue in sound doctrine, even when it wasn't popular. Listen, if you want to embrace the truth of God's word, not according to Baptist tradition, not according to the young pastor behind this pulpit, not according to our dear pastor emeritus of 46 years of study and preaching. If you want to adhere to God's word and take God's word to be what it is as God's holy inspired word, then what you will live, what you will say, and what we will preach will not be a popular message. It can't be. You can't go into the world with the truth and remain popular. It doesn't mean that God won't move and that people won't fall in love with you and the truth. I pray to God when we get here Sunday, this building is packed out with people who are desperate and hungry and that there's a spirit of love and there's a spirit of freedom and that we're able to preach the gospel with authority and with conviction and that the Holy Spirit of God will do the work. That's what I'm praying for. But some people may come Sunday that do not want to hear that Jesus is the only way. That goes against the desires of human flesh and humanism to its core. But in this dark day with all these things happening on this list, we cannot simply omit ourselves from preaching the truth of God's word. We must continue in sound doctrine. And we must do that because false doctrine will spread like wildfire. Go on YouTube, 
Find so-called teachers and preachers. See how many followers and subscribers they have and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. It's the itching ears of the last days. Just because you found it on YouTube and it makes you feel good does not mean it's biblically sound. Be cautious. If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, hangs out near the pond, and goes nuts when you bring it a Ritz cracker, guess what you've got in front of you? It's not a hippopotamus. It's a duck. And in these days that we are living, false teaching, false preaching, prosperity gospel, a superheated money-controlled rise of Mormonism, which is nothing more than a pagan cult that likes to use the name of Jesus. We will see this. And it's happening before our very eyes. The Bible said in the last days, these times would come. They're here. That's why you clinging to the promises of God's word and the truth and the authority of Scripture is more important than ever. Timothy had to flee youthful youthful lusts. Timothy had to grow up fast. I'm asking God, I'm 31, I'll be 32 on Saturday. I'm asking God to grow me up fast spiritually. Don't make me an old grumpy man. That's not my prayer. I'm not an old grumpy man. But I want God to grow me up fast spiritually. We don't have time to wait 25 years for me to decide to take my flip-flops off and put on a pair of war boots. We have to be special operations spiritually. Tactical in the way we pray. Tactical in the way we think. Tactical in the way we do life. We avoid sin like it may kill the whole camp. Because it will. I have to have your back. You have to have mine. And we have to flee the lust of our flesh. In other words, I have to become less of a priority. John 3.30 is the most difficult prayer you'll pray. It'll be painful. It'll be tough. But in these days, as Christians, we're all in special forces. Pray the prayer. Ask that God would execute your flesh and your desire and your will daily. That the will of God would overwhelm your life in the way that you love your children, in the way that you lead your children, in the way that you love your husband, in the way that you live in your 50s and 60s and 70s, that your flesh would be subdued. Timothy had to avoid contention in the churches with the other brothers and sisters. We have to know when to pick our battle. We have to know when it's time to break fellowship. And just because somebody forgot your birthday is not a reason to pick up, pack up your teepee, and leave a church. Just because somebody said something in an ugly tone that you didn't appreciate is not a reason to blow up the whole church or your whole family with a dramatic tale from your experience. We've got to be tough, we've got to be mature. We're in special forces. There's no time for self-pity and self-loathing. They say in special forces, my dad, Pastor Dwight, he was in the 20th Special Forces Group out of Alabama. 
My daddy is a little stick of dynamite. They come in small packages. I still wouldn't want to fight my daddy. I'd have to shoot him. He's a bad little man. One thing I've learned from him is always keep your feet dry. Say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Always keep your feet dry. Stay out of the marsh. Keep your feet dry. And if they get wet, get those socks off quick and put on fresh, clean socks and carry out your business. If you find yourself in a position, in a predicament, if you find yourself in petty sin, get out of the marsh quickly and get on fresh socks. Because wet feet marching along in this battle will blister, it'll fester, it'll cause an infection, and then you'll slow up the whole group. Keep your feet dry and keep on clean socks. Avoid pettiness amongst the family of God. This group is all you have. We have God and we have each other. Take care of each other. Love somebody. If you don't know who somebody is, go find them, ask them their name and love them. Thank God that they're here. And then lastly, we must passionately preach the gospel. Timothy had to passionately, almost militantly, preach the gospel. He had to do that because great apostasy was on the land. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. That's a loaded verse. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. God gives the peace. God gives us a plan. And then lastly, God made some promises. And this is where you can go home singing victory in Jesus with a big smile on your face is because the God of this universe who made the sun, the moon, and the stars, who sent His Son on your behalf to become your sin, made you as one of His children some promises. He promised that He would always be with you. And because God is always with you, you do not have to be afraid. Are you listening to the words coming out of my mouth? God will always be with you. And because God is always with you, He's always bigger than any boogeyman that comes in the night. You do not have to live in fear. God is always in control. That is a promise that He has made. And because God is always in control, I can look at all the things in this world happening. I can go pay $10 a gallon for gas and say God is in charge. He's in control. And because He's in charge and because He's in control, I'm not going to doubt Him. He's God. I'm not going to doubt Him. He knows what He's doing. God made you this promise that He is always good. If you get anything better than hell, you got something that was good. I, Winston Parrish, I deserved hell. Judgment and damnation for eternity. And I didn't have to go. I got saved. I'm born again. And I get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ, my Savior. 
I get to stand at the throne and worship for all eternity. I can shout and hoop and holler and carry on for days and weeks and months. I may shout for a thousand years and nobody's going to give me a weird look. Confidence. And because God is always good, I won't despair. I'll never look at anything with no hope. If they come through that door next week and arrest me for preaching the gospel, I'll leave with not an ounce of despair in my heart. Because the worst thing they can do to this body on this earth is kill me. And the best thing that I'll ever get is what's coming after this life, and that's heaven. Eternity in heaven. And I don't have to despair. You see what, begun, what becomes of Christians who embrace this? Do you see the confidence that's given to us in the word of God? It's a promise that he made. God is always watching is a promise that he made. God is always watching. And he has expectations of us. And because God is always watching and because I fear God and I love God and I want to please God, I do not want to fail God. I don't want my flesh to get the best of me and fail God after all the goodness and all the mercy He's bestowed to me. God is always victorious. Lastly, He gets the victory. And because God gets the victory, you and I cannot in the end lose. One day this whole thing, all the pain, all the war, all the strife, gas prices, food shortage, economy, devaluation, all the pains and the problems of this life will come to an end. They'll be finalized and we all get to say this. God got the victory and I got to partake in the spoils of war at his table. This is a battle. This is a war. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetedness and be content with such things as ye have. Are you reading what that says? Let your conversation be without covetedness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You say, Pastor, I'm left with a bowl of porridge and a miserable body. Thank God that he's never left your side. That he'll never forsake you. And in the last verse, John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. God gives peace. God gave us a plan. and God made us some promises. And the question was asked, is this the end of peace? No. There is peace. An eternal peace. A peace that will never run out. But you'll not find it here. You'll not find it in this world. You'll only find it in the person of our Lord and Savior, our King of Kings, the Rose of Sharon, the Lion of Judah, our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father God, we bow in humility to who you are and to what you are. God, we're overwhelmed with the Lordship that we see in Scripture. 
God, the power and the might of our God is greater than we can fathom. And God, that you would be concerned with our peace and our comfort and our strife and our worries, our supplications. God, the fact that you would even care, God, is more than we deserved. Lord, out of my mouth, I want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming by my way when I was 15. I was lost and undone. I was headed for hell. And you saved me. I bless your holy name for who you are and for what you are. Lord, to know what you got when you got me. Yet in grace and mercy, you chose me. You called me. Oh, thank you. Merciful God. Lord, we never want to get over our salvation. Thank you that I don't have to live in this world with fear and sorrow and sadness with no hope. But God, that I can look at the madness of this world and I can smile and look to heaven and say it is well with my soul because my God is alive and well and on the throne. Thank you for that confidence. Thank you for that authority. Thank you for heaven. Oh Lord, today my heart was reminded that there are people in heaven that I can't wait to see. Lord, I've got a little brother waiting there. A grandmother and a grandfather, a pawpaw and a poppy. God, I want to know what it was to be around Billy Kelly. I want to meet that man. I want to know who the Apostle Paul is. I want to know what his face looks like. I want to meet Timothy and Jonah and all the prophets that preached by faith that the Messiah would come. Lord, thank you that that's the reality of what I get to experience. Oh, Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for the one that's here, God, that's living ignorantly with their eyes unfixed to the Word of God. Their hearts strayed away into the things of this world. I pray that tonight that the tender, gentle hand of the Holy Spirit would bring them back to a place of oneness with you. God, there is no time for us to play pity games. Lord, there is no time for us to be right with just our own motivations, right with our own intentions. God, we want to be right with you. We want to be right with our fellow man our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray over friend day next week for every soul that will be in the building. We ask you now to begin to prepare hearts. 
God, that if someone comes in this building that's lost and undone without Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God would do an incredible work. The miracle of regeneration. Father, that you would save a harvest of souls on Sunday for your glory and in your timing. Lord, stir the church. Wake up the church. God, let us live lives of anticipation that Jesus is coming. He's coming again soon. Lord, we want to take as many people as we can with us. Help us to be our heart's cry and our burden. It's in Jesus' name that Trinity Baptist Church prays together. Amen. Amen. To our online audience, we say good night. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today online. We'll see you on Wednesday night at 6.30.